You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you, Eric. Good evening. My name is Tim McCandless. I'm a grateful believer and follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a regular attendee of Celebrate Recovery here at the church. And I'm working on my, sim- my lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle, and I celebrate victory over drugs, alcohol, and sexual addiction. Yeah. <clears throat> Join me in prayer, please. Lord, all of us have been graciously and beautifully broken at some point in our lives, and we thank you that you're not a God who is afraid of our brokenness, but indeed you welcome it. You invite us to find wholeness and hope and strength in you. And so I pray, God, that the story that I tell, my story, We'll help at least one person here tonight, and I ask that you help us all as we seek to find hope and strengthen you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when Pastor Eric asked me to share my testimony with y'all, I hesitated at first. I had the feeling I didn't have enough time under my belt as a Christ follower to be able to have an impact on others through my story. I've heard many testimonies in recovery, AA, and I wanted to share the amazing things that's God doing in my life versus just spending time talking about what my life was like before I chose to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then I realized that the devil was in my ear and he was just lying to me, trying to deceive me to keep me from sharing my story with you. God created us all with a perfect plan. Even before we were born and that plan has become our personal story, both the good and the bad stuff. God wants us to share our stories with each other so we can offer encouragement and hope to those who hear it. Truth is, the devil's not happy with me. He's got a, uh, a dartboard on my back, as uh, Eric would say, and uh, he's trying to get me back because he lost a recent battle over my soul. That's not going to happen. Jesus won the victory, so let's start with the good stuff. On August 3rd this past year, I was reborn. That's right. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He has given me a second chance in life. And in late November, I was baptized here at the church and washed clean in the blood of Christ. My life has been radically transformed since the day when I dropped to my knees and I surrendered my will and my life over to God's control. I found myself at the end of the road that I traveled in life. I was broken, hopeless, hard-hearted, and I needed a savior. I had turned my back on the Lord when I was young, and I went on to worship many false idols throughout my life. How wonderful it is to know that we have such a merciful God that loves us, loves us so much that no matter how far we run the other direction, he continues to pursue us with his undying love and grace. When I called upon him that night in August, he answered my cry. He immediately sent the Holy Spirit to live inside me, and with the snap of his finger, he broke the heavy chains of sin and addiction that had enslaved me and weighed me down for many years. I am proud to say that I have been completely sober and sexual abstinent for over six months now. I also quit smoking cigarettes over five months ago after smoking for nearly 25 years. Christian singer and songwriter Zach Williams sums it up best when he said, I was a dead man walking, digging my own grave, nowhere to turn, bridges to burn, throwing my life away. I was a rebel running until I found my end right at the place. I heard your grace say I could start again. Everything changed when I fell on my knees. Everything changed when your love rescued me. So here I stand tonight only by his grace, 
and his grace is enough for me, amen? So now I will share with you the events in my life that led up to the dark and lonely place that I found myself in. My physical life did not begin like most. In fact, my life ended before it began. Let me explain. It was the year that the original Star Wars first came out in theaters. The New York Yankees had won the World Series. Any Yankee fans? And the Oakland Raiders had won the Super Bowl. Jimmy Carter was sworn in as the 39th president of the United States. It was mid-August of 1977, and a young nurse's assistant showed up to work in the maternity ward at a hospital in Vancouver Island, British Columbia. A young couple had arrived late, late the night before, and had, the mother had already been in labor for nearly 17 hours. This particular young girl was called to her delivery room, where she joined the doctor and two other nurses to assist in the labor. What was thought to be a routine process quickly turned into major complications for this medical team. As the mother proceeded to push her baby out of her womb, the umbilical cord was wrapped around its neck, and the baby was not breathing in blue in color. Of all the combined years of experience in that room, the first to take action, however, was this young nurse's apprentice. She freed the baby's neck from the cord, made the proper incisions, and began to administer CPR to the newborn infant. Just moments later, the baby began to cry. This is how the good Lord chose for me to enter this world. It has taken me only 40 plus years to realize that God must have really had a purpose for me in this life. It's hard not to reflect back on the fact of God's perfect planning and timing that ensured this young nursing assistant was in the delivery room on the specific day, that specific time, to save my life. My parents were missionaries in Canada at the time I was born, and my dad was in charge of running a boys' home for troubled youth. I had one sister who was two years older than me and loved the idea of having a younger brother that she could boss around. I was blessed to be born into a Christian family where God and church were immediately thrust upon me in life. As I look back and recall the different stages of my life, I feel so grateful that I was raised with a strict upbringing in the church. Despite other dysfunction I encountered as a child, the fact that I was taught the difference between right and wrong was a blessing in disguise. I was a curious kid and I began to discover the world and its wonders by jumping right into everything I could get my hands into or on. Adventures, imagination, and the great outdoors were my most entertaining hobbies during my adolescent years. We traveled often as a young family, living in numerous different towns and cities throughout Canada, Europe, and the U.S. <clears throat> my sister and I were always having to change schools, so having to say goodbye to newly found friends and try to make new friends all over again became a common practice for us. I wish I could recall more details of my childhood, but unfortunately I have very little recollection and memory of my earlier years. Perhaps this is a direct result of my own disregard to some of the not-so-pleasant events that took place, or possibly due to all the drugs I did over the years, maybe even a combination of the both. I do, however, recall there were things that occurred at a very young age involving my father that were not appropriate for a dad to be doing with his young children. Some of those details became more vivid as the years passed, at which time that blur became more clear to me of the sexual abuse that was occurring. There is no need for me to elaborate any further on this, however, as I made my peace with God on it. And after many years of denial and lack of communication with my father, God somehow managed to lead me to his deathbed where he made his amends to me before he passed. These sinful acts of my father definitely left a footprint in my brain psychologically, however, and may have in fact been the devil's loophole to get me handed down the wrong path in life. There's a saying, the avoidance of pain is the root of all mental illness. Let me say it one more time. The avoidance of pain is the root of all mental illness. And in my case, I would soon find myself trying to self-medicate this pain with all the wrong medicine. 
<clears throat> I was introduced to pornography at a young age. It came in the form of an adult magazine that I had found at a park, and it intrigued me. As the years went by, looking at magazines soon became late-night cable TV and eventually videos. The Internet had not been invented back then yet. The images I saw began to make me more curious about nudity and sex and what this was all about. To be totally honest, though, I was scared to have sex. Experimentation with girls began when I was young, but it never led to home base as I would always stop it before it led that far for some reason. Perhaps that was the Spirit of God convicting me in the form of a voice in my head at the time. Needless to say, I didn't listen to it for very long. See, I had first accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior during my youth, specifically around the age of nine or ten. Due to my young age and lack of fully understanding what that meant exactly, I wasn't very sure of my salvation, though. I believe I prayed that same prayer at least another dozen times in the next few years to follow in fear that I may not have done it the right way the first time. As I look back now, the only thing I believe I was sure of regarding my intentions of my faith at the time was that I didn't want to go to hell when I died. At the age of 13, I began smoking cigarettes regularly. A neighborhood kid and I would steal packs out of his mom's cartons and go smoke at the nearby, at the nearby park. It was around age 14 that I had my first sip of vodka and I got sick as a dog after drinking about half the bottle with a friend at home. Not the greatest first experience, but I soon developed a tolerance for it as years went by. Drugs entered my life around the same age, mainly marijuana and speed. That is the street name for meth back then. I enjoyed the feeling of being in a different place in my head and my body. Perhaps I could say that was temporary escape of reality when things were bad that really captivated me about drugs and alcohol. It was like I could just turn off the switch to whatever I didn't want to deal with at the time and trap myself in this new fantasy land of intoxication I had found. I finally lost my virginity when I was 15 years old. The first few times were a bit awkward, but soon I became hooked on the whole sex thing. My interest in girls and sex was at an all-time high in high school. And with drugs and alcohol as my other favorite hobbies, what better way than to combine all three for an even better time? I seemed to do well in school and got pretty decent grades without putting forth too much effort. I surrounded myself with the wrong crowd early on in high school and was removed from the public school system my freshman year as a result. My friend's mom had actually recorded him and I basically doing a drug deal over the phone, and of course she played it back for my parents. I was sent to a private school as a result. It was around this time I was also drawn to violence, which coincided mainly by hanging out with the wrong crowd as well. You see, acceptance and justification through fighting was much easier for me since I was good at it. Once again, I used fighting like sex, drugs, and alcohol as a band-aid of temporary relief from the pain and hurt I was feeling at the time. I was very athletic, and I became fully involved in organized sports during my junior high and high school years. I was good at most every sport I played and seemed to find myself as a natural leader and usually one of the team captains. This finally created some discipline and structure in my life, which was definitely needed. This is where I also began to see my ability to have an influence on others. As the years went by, the devil found a way to use my leadership abilities to his advantage and would eventually turn that into selfish manipulation. My dad divorced my mom when I was 14 years old. He had emotionally and psychologically drained her through her marriage, through their marriage, and I began to really despise my father by this point. My mother was a good woman and loved God. I began to drift off independently in my own direction during their divorce. My sense of family diminished quickly and my new family became whoever I was around at the time being. I wanted to pursue my own path in life now and I set out on a mission to do so. Upon graduation from high school, I was drinking heavily with my friends, smoking weed and really had no set plan for what I wanted to do. 
My best friend was heading off to college in Arkansas that fall, so I figured, what the heck? And I enrolled and went with him. My college experience only lasted a few months, however, after I threw a big hotel party on Halloween out in town, which happened to be in a dry county. For those of you that don't know, a dry county means they don't sell alcohol. It attracted a whole lot of unneeded attention I didn't expect and got back to the dean of students. They received some complaints the following Monday regarding some of the events that occurred at the party, and the school gave me an ultimatum to leave or they would get the local authorities involved. Needless to say, I got in my truck and started driving. I returned home to Southern California, and I landed a construction job to pay the bills. My work day started at 6 a.m., and I was off around 5 p.m. I would stop by the store on my way home, pick up a 12-pack, smoke a joint, sleep for a few hours, and start all over again. My weekends consisted of bar hopping and getting high. I loved to drink, do cocaine, smoke weed, and have sex. My life had no real direction, so I made a decision to join the military. I joined the United States Marine Corps in the mid-'90s. Now, here was something I really enjoyed, and I was good at it. I had the opportunity to travel and live in many countries, including Japan, Egypt, Kuwait, and Bahrain, just to name a few. I was a heavy machine gunner, but also held a few other MOSs during my service, including heavy machine gun instructor, non-lethal weapons instructor, mountain instructor, and military police. Despite a minor training accident that set me back for about six months and resulted in the addition of some permanent hardware in my ankle, I was in the best shape of my life. I was just a few months shy of completing my first four-year term, and then I made a bad decision that would affect my life drastically. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton at the time, and I drove up to the L.A. area on a holiday weekend to attend a big rock festival with some high school friends. They were still doing the same things that I had been doing before I joined the Corps. While drinking and smoking cigarettes was still a part of my everyday life, I hadn't touched a drug in over three and a half years. Well, the devil was working overtime that day, and I gave in to self-indulgence and used cocaine with him. I returned back to the base that Sunday night, and as the high began to fade away, the shame and disappointment set in for what I had done. And it just so happened my entire unit had a surprise drug test that following morning. Sure enough, a couple weeks later when the lab results were turned in, my company commanding officer had me standing tall in front of him, questioned me about the traces of cocaine that I had tested positive on. In Romans 7, verse 15 through 17, it reads, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong. And my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I am breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. I was not ready to face the responsibility for the bad decision I, I had made. And the devil on my shoulder whispered something in my ear at that very moment. He said, lie. Tell him someone had slipped something in your drink. Of course, being very distant from God at the time, I listened. I lied and I played the fool. I was put through what they call non-judicial punishment or NJP. I was going to have to present myself in my case in front of a couple different panels of high-ranking officers. This was more so a test of my character as a Marine. And I was a squared away Marine and was a squad leader in my unit, so I thought that would be in my favor. I passed all all the panels with flying colors, but unfortunately my commanding officers could not overlook the fact that there was evidence of drugs in my body. I was able to avoid doing any brig time over this, and I got off with a general discharge versus a BCD, or bad conduct discharge. I was full of grief and shame, but the worst part was I was full of the sin of denial for what I had done. I knew that if I let the secret out, I felt that others would look down upon me for my wrongdoing. So I did exactly that, I kept it a secret. Since the time I was discharged, 
discharge was so close to my normal four-year term discharge, I didn't tell anybody about what really happened. And then when the bombing on 9-11 occurred, I was filled with a sense of deep sorrow and depression for what I had done. You see, many of my good friends and brothers that, I, that were in my unit that I had served with were called to duty in Iraq, some of which never came back, rest in peace. I felt I had turned my back on them and my country by choosing to get high, and now I wouldn't be able to serve alongside of them in battle. In the summer of 2000, I landed a job at a bar working security. One of my coworkers and I began hanging out regularly. He introduced me to, my, to a new miracle drug that I quickly fell in love with, steroids. Since I was already a big gym rat, the temptation to increase my strength and enhance my physical abilities, not to mention my appearance, was right up my alley. I began using them regularly, but they were very expensive, and I didn't have that kind of income at the time. So I improvised. That's what Marines do. To afford this new habit, I got into the business of smuggling. On a smaller scale, of course, we would go down to Tijuana, purchase different steroids in local pharmacies, then, then we would tape them to our waist and our legs under our pants with duct tape and walk back across the border. Once back home, we would sell most of them and keep some on the side. Not too smart a decision considering the consequences if I was caught. Nonetheless, in my mind, the risk versus the reward was worth it. After quite a few successful trips there and back, my friend got busted. This was a wake-up call for me, and I definitely needed to come up with a way to make some more money soon since I was already hooked on these so-called miracle drugs. My buddy had asked me to take over his clients while he was locked up, and he left me with instructions on where his private drug stash was at his house. So I started slinging drugs for him. June of 2001, with barely a year out of the Marine Corps, I rented a room from a friend of mine with no car and no real money saved. I was working under-the-table jobs as a bouncer at local bars and nightclubs, drinking, getting high, and planning, on, and planning on who to go home with after work seemed to become a daily routine for me at that point. I needed legit work soon, and I figured I would have more problems to deal with if I didn't get it. My roommate at the time had agreed to give me a ride to apply at a couple different places. He had suggested that we start at a big-name gentleman's club or strip club in the local area, which he had frequented a few times. He said if you work security in those places, you would get tipped in cash from each girl working, and that sounded like the perfect fit for me. When we arrived, I filled out an application for security, and the general manager came out to interview me. He hired me on the spot and told me to show up the next evening, which I did. And my first few months on the job were definitely a learning experience for sure. I was a bit stiff than most of my coworkers due to my militant demeanor and the way I carried myself professionally. But my supervisors liked this about me since I seemed to be strictly business. I excelled quickly, and within six months, they promoted me to shift manager. Within eight months, I was the general manager of this club, working for one of the biggest corporate companies in the nightlife and entertainment business at the time, and I was only 23 years old. Of course, my financial struggles had, I had started this job with soon became non-existent. I started making real cash money now. I soon developed a solid, a solid reputation amongst my peers, coworkers, and most of all, the corporate executives, who started to take an interest in my work. <clears throat> my club sales began to increase, and they saw potential of growth for me at their larger-scale locations within their company. In the following next 10 years, I would go on to be the general manager of seven different locations for them, opening many clubs and including a couple years of being on the road, opening new locations for them out of state. My success was growing quickly, and so was my bank account. My drug use, drinking, and sexual promiscuity were swinging completely out of control. I had used steroids for about 12 years now consistently at, the po at this point and added a heavy seven-year cocaine habit 
along with the equation. New habits were forming to ecstasy, GHB, ketamine, and pills, opioids mainly, and those were forming on the side as well. You see, on the cover, I had the life every guy wanted, money, power, drugs, women, and social clout. I did a few weeks in county jails during this time for possession and assault charges, but thankfully no prison terms. God was watching over me, obviously. My addiction to sex had reached an all-time high, and my fantasies were becoming realities. The porn stars that I had once fantasized about were now frequenting my bedroom, and I was interacting with many celebrities in my business affairs. My occupational choice really played a role in distorting the way in which I saw the world, others, and most of all, the view of women that I had. My heart was hardening more and more, and I was making bad decisions constantly in my personal life. I hadn't really seen or associated with anyone in my family in many years, and I lacked showing my feelings or emotions outwardly to anybody. By this point, I, heard, I had earned myself a PhD in selling alcohol and women. I was in the business of making money, not friends. The lyrics of a Papa Roach song come to mind. They say, I was the number one sinner, no less. My life was a lie, my wish was a death. I fell in love with the ways of the world, money, the fame, the booze, the girls. But I couldn't stay faithful if I tried. I turned into a devil. You could see it in my eyes. That's when I knew it wouldn't last. You'll never get away when you're running from the past. What I didn't realize at the time is that I was just trying to fill a void in my heart with all this junk, a void that was created from hurt, disappointment, and other negative emotions that I never learned how to cope with properly. At the end of every celebrity event, VIP party, award show, or weekend getaway, there was always an empty feeling I would get when it was all over. I didn't like that feeling. It was a sad feeling of loneliness and emptiness. I knew I could drown it out quickly, though, with these false remedies that I'd grown to know so well. So that's exactly what I continue to do to prevent the pain, and, to prevent the pain from setting in. I never developed any deep, solid relationships with anyone in my life, never planted any solid roots. So I had nobody that I felt that I could run to and trust. Probably more so out of fear of being vulnerable, getting hurt, or losing the upper hand of the situation. See, I was under the false pretense and lie that money could buy me happiness and believe that success in my career was solely due to my skill set and I was the one that got me to where I was at. Sadly, this was just a big lie. The only truth to that lie is that I was the one that got me to where I was on a dark path leading to dark places. In 1 Timothy, Paul mentors Timothy with some advice. In chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men, men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This was exactly the trap the devil had pulled me into. I hadn't experienced too much grief at that point, but it was soon to come inevitably. In 2011, I was promoted to an executive position of regional manager for the company. My workload was a bit overwhelming, and I was working 60 to 70 hours per week. I took a lot of pride in my new position, and I didn't want to let anybody down. I found myself quickly becoming a workaholic and let my job and success rule my priority checklist. I was directly in charge of and responsible for over 16 locations and 1,500 staff and dancers at the time. I excelled in the position, and once again, I found myself receiving yet another promotion within a few years. In 2014, I was promoted the Executive Junior Vice President of Operations for the entire company, which at the time included over 35 club locations worldwide, 60-plus properties that we own, and we had the number one club in Las Vegas 
for multiple, year, multiple years running as we hosted many after parties for every major celebrity, UFC, and boxing event you could think of. Life was good, or so I thought. I was on top of the world in my mind. I had lots of money, big houses, nice cars, flashy suits, and plenty of women around me. I also had an extremely expensive drug, drug habit and an out-of-control spending problem just the same. It was about this time that I was reunited to the drug meth, and be, I began using it regularly. See, I was proud of myself for dropping my cocaine habit altogether at this point. And I didn't really drink much alcohol either. And I stopped using steroids. In fact, I just quit going to the gym altogether at this point because my priority in life was strictly getting high. That's what meth will do to you. Meth was what led me to the darkest places I've been in life and the worst people I've ever met. My demise slowly unfolded in front of me, and I didn't even see it coming until it was too late. The company I worked for really valued me, and they wanted to see my success continue, so much so that they even put me through a three-month outpatient rehab in 2017 after I popped dirty for meth on a drug test. I actually got clean during that time frame, but relapsed right after leaving treatment. Here comes that denial again. Of course, once again, the shame kept me from telling the truth, so I did my best to act like I was still sober for the next year or so. By this point, employees and coworkers were starting to notice changes in my physical appearance and my mannerisms. I was late for meetings constantly. So in February of last year, just, just shy of nearly 20 years with them, it came time for me to part ways with my job. Not at my choice, of course. But I had allowed my drug habit to affect me physically, emotionally, and mentally, and it was shown in my on-the-job performance by this point. First, I lost my job, then my house, and as for my dignity and self-worth, they were already in the gutter. So at this point, I tried another treatment center down in San Clemente, and I only lasted 10 days in detox before leaving. Most people would have reached out for some help by this point, but I didn't. My addictions had consumed me completely, and I went on a five-month binge, biggest one I ever did. I drained my bank accounts dry, and I spent close to a quarter million dollars on drugs, alcohol, women, and luxurious hotel rooms. In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and again in Luke 16, 13, during the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus speaks of storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. He says specifically in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, I had chosen money and earthly pleasures, and I worshiped them religiously. We live in a very materialistic society where many people serve money just as I did. The desire for money and what it can buy far outweighs what should be our other priorities in our lives, including a commitment to God in spiritual matters. Remember that whatever we store up or take interest in, in turn, we will spend much of our time and energy thinking about. If you find yourself at a crossroad of uncertainty, where you stand regarding who is your master, God or money, then perhaps ask yourself honestly, which one occupies more of your thoughts, times, and efforts? And you might find out the answer to the question isn't what you hoped it would be. There is an epidemic in our country, in our world, and it affects people from all walks of life. People sitting in this room right now, perhaps a person to your left, to your right, or perhaps maybe even you. Addiction, and it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, or how much money you have. I chose drugs, alcohol, sex, money, pornography, and violence, but there are many other addictions that are just as real and crippling, like gambling, shopping, social media, addiction to cell phones, technology, etc. These things put a filter on how we see the world and our relationships. It is not real, and it is surely not what God wants us to see things. 
Too much of anything or excessive use may put someone at risk of being a statistic to other major epidemics that plague our world like depression, anxiety, mental health issues, suicidal thoughts, overdoses, and ultimately death. There's a Latin proverb that stands out to me. It says, everything in moderation, nothing in excess. Well, I live my life on the contrary. Everything in excess, nothing in moderation. I had many false idols in my life to self-medicate for the emptiness and pain I tried to run from. You see, none of these could bring me any real joy or freedom like the amazing grace of God had brought me. God gave us his word, the Bible, to serve as an instruction, an instruction manual on how to live our lives. He gives us plenty of advice that is in our best interest because he loves us and wants the best for us. He doesn't tell us to live life according to his will so we don't get to have fun or to harm us. He just knows that what the alternative choices in life will lead to. And it saddens him greatly when we decide to do otherwise. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Who loves his child more, the father who allows the child to do what will harm him, or the one who corrects, trains, and even punishes the child to help him learn what is right? It's never a pleasant experience to be corrected and disciplined by God. But his discipline is a sign of his deep love for us. When God corrects us, we should see it as proof of his love and ask him what he's trying to teach us through the experience. I would like to share an email I received a couple months ago from one of my cousins who had been praying for me for many years. The subject was titled, Praising the Lord. It read, Hi, Tim. I wanted to share a little thought I had a couple weekends ago. In the past, whenever I drove past a gentleman's club billboard, I used to pray for you. Many years of doing the same over and over. I drove past a sign recently, and for the first time, I was able to say, Praise the Lord. I was able to say, Praise the Lord for your return, and I thank God for touching your heart and bringing you home to Him. What a blessing to be able to praise God that He hears our prayers and answers. God is so faithful to every one of us. Hope you have a wonderful day. You see, God is an amazing tailor. He knows how to take all our dirty laundry and knit it all together so perfectly with just the right stitching so as to make a beautiful new garment of hope and joy that others can share in. Amen? Well, God has turned my life around 180 degrees completely, and I'm blessed to be a part of this wonderful staff here at the church. And I look forward to the many great things God still has in store for me. You see, the miracle has just begun in my life. I don't have lots of money or material wealth anymore or a model-like figure, but I have some things that are much more valuable like joy, love, and peace. God's given me a compassionate heart as well. So emotion is something that I have on, on the often, which I'm appreciative of. I am currently in the Celebrate Recovery program and I'm still working on my recovery day by day. I'm in a weekly CR step study with my brothers there in the back and we are on a journey together learning how to surrender ourselves to God so he can peel away the layers of our hearts that were broken and hurt for many years. In closing, it is my hope and prayer for you all that you might take what you heard tonight and be wise in the upcoming decisions and choices in life that you may encounter. Some of these decisions may have a greater impact on your life than what you anticipate at the time. Look to the Lord for direction and he will guide you to the light. He is a good God and a loving God who understands and forgives and lifts us back up when we fall. Thank you for letting me share and God bless you all. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Hey, uh, one more time, can you let Tim know that you're glad he's here? Wow. Wow.
Thanks, Mark. That was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, you guys, uh, that was part one. We are about to dive into your questions. You guys have asked some amazing questions, but I imagine some of the things Tim shared now got you thinking about new questions. And so go ahead and text that number uh, as Courtney is going to be our moderator up here. She's going to be looking at the new texts that are coming in as well as the ones that you texted earlier. So make sure you send your text messages in about anything related to relationships, singleness, dating, marriage, sex, and then uh, anything about Tim's story, any of the topics he covered. Again, we're going to try to answer as many of your questions as we can. We won't get through all of them, but we're going to try our very best. And then whatever we don't answer, take it to your life group leaders. They're the experts. They're going to give you great stuff. So uh, are you guys having a good time tonight? You guys enjoying this? All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, why don't we do this? I will just have uh, each of us kind of introduce. Well, you know, I, I'm just going to do the introductions real quick. So we got Tim, obviously, who shared. Amazing man of God. Um, Jesus is just doing good stuff. Yeah, give it up for Tim. We're pumped on him. We've got Nicole, our intern. She's absolutely amazing. We love Nicole, and she's going to be answering your questions. Give it up for Nicole. And then we have Corey. Corey is our young adults pastor here at Purpose Church. She heads up our life groups for our young adults. She's absolutely amazing, especially for you seniors. Uh, Corey and her team, you guys will be connecting a lot with them. So give it up for Corey. And then... I'm Eric. So, um, uh, yeah, actually, you know, let me just say this. If you're new tonight, I'm Eric. I'm the high school pastor, and I really would love to meet you after this, and I'm so glad that you're here tonight. And so uh, this is Courtney, our high school ministry coordinator. Give it up for Courtney. This is a really tough job right here because there are already a ton of questions going in. Here's what we're going to try to do. Just a reminder for all of us. Here's what we're going to try to do. We want to be as practical and as helpful and as quick with our answers as possible. So we want to get through as many questions as we can. Some of the questions just one of us will answer and we'll go on. Some questions a few of us will answer, but we're going to try to keep them short, practical, helpful, uh, and try to get through as many as we can. So keep sending your text messages in. Uh, We'll see if yours gets asked and we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, well. So take it away, Court. Okay, guys. Well, let's get started. Um, I think this one seems like a great one to start with. Um, what does the Bible consider sex? Tim, uh, what do you want? <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Well, you know, sure. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Eric's uh, biblical terminology would be a lot, probably a lot better than mine, but, you know, sex is uh, something that's supposed to be enjoyed in a marriage and a it's a, you know, it's a sacred thing, and, uh, you know, a lot of us have the uh, mentality of what the media feeds us, which is it's okay, and it's everywhere, and, you know, the Bible obviously is the alternative to, you know, like I said in my testimony, God wants us to have fun, but he wants us to do it at the right time with the right people or person, you know, in a sacred, uh, you know, marriage, so. Yeah, yeah, and I would say, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I would say, too, Scripture's pretty clear. Um, it says flee from sexual immorality. And that idea of sexual immorality is actually where we get the word pornography from. Uh, the Greek word sexual immorality is porneia, where we get pornography from. And the idea is flee from anything, um, any kind of sexual experience outside of what happens between a husband and a wife in marriage. Um, in a sense, God is wanting to protect us. He's wanting to watch out for us. He's wanting to save something good for 
us. Um, and, and the scriptures doesn't, don't say get as close to the line as possible, right? So, so maybe behind this question is, man, is it okay if, like, me and my boyfriend, like, touch each other? Is it okay if we have oral sex? Is that okay as long as we don't have, you know, vaginal sex? The reality is scripture, as it talks about sexuality, it says run away from anything that is outside of God's desired intention for us. And it's not because sex is bad. It's because sex is good. That scripture calls sex good when it's God's way, when it's done God's way. And so that would be my thoughts mm-hmm. to that. That's right. really and, good. And also, we're going to have some great responses. Don't, we don't even need to applaud because we just want to power through as many of them as we can. So, let's And keep that going. was so good. That kind of answered a couple other ones that are cool. coming in about how far is too far and that kind of thing. So let's jump to this. This student is asking... Is it possible to be in love in marriage with someone forever? Corey, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd have to ask what yourself what is love. And love is something that you have to, it's not just something like a feeling. It's not something that's fleeting. It's actually like something that you have to work at. It's like a muscle. You have to like exercise and work on that love. So I've been married for 17 years. And I've known my husband since I was in junior high, but we weren't dating until after high school. But we work on it on a regular basis. It's not just something you can just let just let go. It's not it's not anything you're going to see in a romantic comedy or a, 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 in the movies. It's really something that takes time and effort, and um, honestly, prayer. Like we pray, I pray a lot for my marriage. I know my husband does too, and and it's something that you choose to honor the Lord with. Is is just choosing to love every day. So I think it's something that is possible, but it takes work. Awesome. Um, Next one. This student writes, I am tempted to lose my virginity. How can I overcome that? Nicole. What are your, you were just talking about the best answer to this question. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I was not just talking, but... Okay, this is a good question. Um, I think that that is, like, so real. And so, first of all, just want to be like, hey, like, it's not, like, wrong for you to, like, be feeling those things. I think, like, sometimes we can be like, oh, that's, like, so, so, so bad. But that's, like, not, like, such a bad thing. I think that, honestly, like, just thinking about yourself and then also about, like, your future spouse and also about someone else's future spouse um, and what's going to be like honoring to them. Um, And like when you are married one day and you're like with your husband or wife, like are you going to want to have to like talk about all of these other like relationships that you've had and like this intimacy that you've shared with all these other people? Um, So I know that it's like such a hard thing, but like try to just stay strong um, and don't give in to, like, peer pressure of, like, oh, well, all my friends are doing it, so, like, I'm, like, lame or, like, weird if I'm not doing it. Um, I think, like, you really have to think, like, God has his best intention for you, and, like, he is not trying to, like, hurt you um, in this. He is, like, really trying to help you and has, like, your good in mind. So I think hopefully that's just some encouragement, like, to stay strong. Um, Yeah. Okay, um, next one. Um, what Bible verse or verses really help you with uh, struggles with porn or lust? Um, I, 
I'm just going to paraphrase, but there's a Bible verse that talks about taking captive every thought and surrendering it to the Lord. And honestly, we're all people up here, no matter where we're at in our walks with the Lord, and even Eric. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, I on, honestly, almost on a daily basis, I have to practice that. That's something that is so important to keep in mind that not every thought in our minds is going to be pure. And sometimes the enemy is really you know, shooting those daggers that I think Mar uh, Tim was talking about right at your back. And sometimes he wants them to really be planted in your head. And unless we just kind of are mindful of what's coming into our mind and saying, Lord, please take these thoughts away from me and really rebuking what the enemy is putting in our thoughts. That's, I mean, that to me, that's a really key verse for, for battling lust or things that are definitely going to be damaging to my relationship with my husband, to re my relationship with other people. It's just a really important verse to remember. Yeah, I think one that immediately comes to mind is in the first pages of the story of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and 28, it talks about how every single person, like the person next to you, the person you're enemies with, the person that you've hooked up with, every person is made in the image of God. That means every single person has worth and value, not because of anything they could do, not because of anything they have done, but because they were created by God. Mm. And so you have to ask yourself the question, am I okay with taking advantage of somebody who God has preciously created? Scripture talks about how every single person in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are God's masterpiece. That means, gentlemen, every girl that you look at, that you objectify and see them not as a whole person with personality and heart and passion and skills and a story, when you reduce them to an object, you are saying that that person is no longer God's masterpiece, that that person is no longer made in the image of God, but they're simply a tool for you to be used. And so all over scripture, it talks about how people are valuable to God. In fact, they're so valuable that he was willing to die for them. I mean, that's another concept to think through is that the person you're taking advantage of, God gave his life for that person. And so I think sometimes it's important to remember that, that even as you're interacting with somebody that you would be tempted to lust after, that you would be tempted to objectify, or you would be tempted to use them for your own sexual gratification, to remember that this is a person who's made in the image of God, who is a daughter or son of God. Maybe even just practically to think through, this is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's sister. This is somebody's niece. I think when we start to remember that, that we're actually talking about real people, we're looking at real people, and when we try to reduce them, um, we need to remember those things. Awesome. Um, I think this one um, might be specifically for Tim and your personal story. Um, Tim, the student writes, how did you fight uh, your pornography addiction? Mm. You know, uh, that was something that continued throughout my uh, life. It wasn't, you know, just a, when I was young thing. It, uh, you know, because it was all around me, it was, uh, it was something that kind of came and, came and went uh, just because I was seeing the reality of what I used to fantasize about at work. Um, and I became prone to it, you know, and it, it to a certain degree, it, uh, it affected me more so specifically to pornography. I, you know, I kind of lost that addiction because it was kind of an everyday thing. So that wasn't really a factor for me later on. You know, I'd find myself, you know, having to, you know, use pornography as a fantasy when I was with a woman, you know, and that was something that was, you know, even more sickening in, you know, my, my mind 
at the time is that, you know, this is another thing is, uh, you know, uh, a huge deterrence away from being promiscuous is that you're going to have thoughts. And the more people that you're with or the more of these, you know, experiences that you have, that's going to haunt you probably, you know, like, it, you know, that's something that I got to live with is, uh, you know, whether or not God chooses a, a significant other for me in my life. Uh, you know, I got I to gotta deal with how I'm going to think about or fantasize about that woman only, you know, versus the, the, all the playbacks in my mind of all the bad things that I've done, you know. So I think pornography kind of faded out, but it was more of a reality at that point in my career, so. Thank you for that. Um, okay, why is there such a social and biblical stigma with a girl's virginity but not a male's? What's the biblical importance in preserving a male's virginity? Wow, we got some theologians yeah, in the room. Right. <laughs> All right. That's a deep one. <laughs> Let's dig into it. Um, that's interesting. I would want, I guess, I'll, I'll, a few thoughts come to mind. Um, I would want to look at those specific passages because... Um, to me, it's clear from the beginning, again, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, and they become married, he, he tells them, he says, um, or he says, they are now one flesh. And that idea of oneness, we talked about this last week, that idea of oneness, that word in the original language is permanence and passion. It's this idea that these two people, this husband and wife, would be permanently, passionately in love with each other. And of course there's seasons and, and those kind of things, but that there would be commitment and fidelity between them. Um, when Jesus talks about adultery, um, more often than not, he's talking to the guys in the room and uh, in a culture where uh, that Jesus lived in and did ministry and women were seen as property. In fact, women were seen as uh, tools for men to use for their own pleasure. And yet when Jesus talks about men and their relationships with women, he says, if you even lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so Jesus takes very seriously how men think about women uh, and how women think about men. Um, it's clear in Paul's writings when he's talking about men and women um, that he's calling them uh, both to a life of, we talked about this last week, worshiping Jesus. That's just what it's about. Life is about worshiping Jesus. That's where fulfillment, that's where life to the full happens, is when you are worshiping Jesus. And in marriage between a husband and a wife, sex is worshipful. Why? Because we're commanded to do that. It's given to us in Scripture that a husband and wife are to engage in sex with each other as a celebration of their marriage. And so it's worshipful. Outside of marriage, it's not worshipful to Jesus. And so I would actually argue the scriptures are pretty clear to men and women um, that uh, purity before God, living a lifestyle of worship before God, um, is something that both male and females are expected to do. Just to piggyback, that's a great explanation. Uh, I think society and media really give us that misconception, though, yeah. of that it's okay for the guy and not the women. And I think that's just one of you know, the media's way of twisting you know, the reality of what God wants in our lives. I mean, it's just, it's out there everywhere, you know, that... The woman is, you know, more of a, of a pure creature and the men are just dogs or, you know, so on and so forth. Not saying that we're not dogs sometimes, but needless to say, I think media really plays a big role in that misconception. 
Okay, um, there are like several more questions about pornography coming in. So just to touch on a couple more of those, um, this student asks, is, is it a sin to watch porn? Wow, such a great question. Number one, thank you so much for having the courage to ask that question. Um, number two, I don't want to assume that this is a guy texting in this question because as we've surveyed even our community here in HSM and as national stats are showing, pornography is not just a guy struggle, but it's a girl struggle as well. And so um, whether you're a male or female and you are tempted to look at porn, you're struggling with it, I would absolutely say watching pornography is a sin. Um, why? Because you are allowing yourself to view somebody as an object or a tool to be used for your own consumption. And that is not what God created you for. That God desires for you in a husband and wife marriage to have sex with each other, but it's really about serving each other. It's really about putting your needs to the side and serving the spouse that you're with. Um, let me just say this too, and, and this, this needs to be said about pornography. 90% of pornography enacts violence against women. That so many, especially women who are a part of the pornography industry, are abused in that industry. They're forced into that industry. It is absolutely a form of sex slavery and sex trafficking. And so that is something that all of us want to stay as far away from as possible. On a personal note, I have known so many, and I've just talked with more guys, but I'm sure the story is true for women. I've talked with so many guys who, like Tim was saying, never took seriously their addiction to pornography. And then as soon as they found themselves in a relationship, uh, when they were married, they couldn't even have sex with their wife because all of those thoughts, all those years of addiction um, had just robbed them of that. And, and there's freedom there for sure, but it takes so much time and so much rebuilding and literally rewiring your brain. Here's why it's so dangerous to watch pornography or to see it is because it literally is rewiring your brain. That whether you're a guy or girl, when you consume pornography, it is rewiring your brain to think about sex in selfish terms and to think about the other gender or whoever you're looking at as merely objects. They, they did a study, this is the last thing I'll say, they did a study recently um, where they surveyed uh, brains of people who had watched pornography frequently. And what they found is when they would show these, it was a, it was a mostly guy study, when they would show these guys pictures, pornographic pictures, they noticed what part of their brains were kind of firing and what synapses were going off. And then they showed them literally tools like in a toolbox, like tools in a toolbox. And those exact same synapses were firing in their brains. And so what they discovered is that these men had literally been reprogrammed to see women as tools to be used. And so, friends, I don't know where you're at in your addiction to pornography or maybe you've seen it once. Run for the hills. Run for the hills. You will save your relationship with Christ. You will save your future friendships, the way you view the opposite sex, your future marriage. And so run, run, run from that. How do you do that? Start telling people. Like, talk to somebody. If you're a girl, don't be ashamed of it. Talk to your life group leader. If you're a gentleman, don't be ashamed of it. Talk to your life group leader. Let us hold you accountable. Let us help you. Because um, your soul's on the line when it comes to this. That's so good. And that answers a couple of the other ones about... Um, you know, how to prevent myself from becoming addicted and what to do. Um, another question is, what does the Bible say about masturbation? <laughs> That's awesome. 
I love this community. I love that. Question. Here's the thing. We've said this before, right? Do you guys want to take it or you want me to take it? I, th- I think it kind of goes into play a little bit with... I love you, Tim. This is what I'm talking about, dude. With what, uh, Tim's not what afraid. Eric already kind of said about fantasizing in the mind. You know, masturbation is something that uh, to do... I mean, I'm trying to play it back and be censored at the same time is you have to have images in your mind or thoughts processing to masturbate. And so coinciding with what Eric said earlier, you're, you're already sitting by having those thoughts. And if you haven't seen porn, you're, you're, you're trying to fantasize about other things that maybe you don't know too much about. Either way, it still falls in the category, I think, as a sin, you know, because you're having lustful thoughts while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's one of those questions that I know is just sounds strange. I would encourage you to talk to your parents about it. Honestly, I would encourage you to try to talk to your parents, talk to your life group leaders about it. I know there's lots of um, gray area around this. I can understand that, but I absolutely agree with Tim. Um, I have known friends who have become addicted to masturbation, that it is literally an addiction for them. Um, and it's something that they thought was just kind of natural. That's what culture told them. Hey, it's just natural to do that. And it's become a, a full-blown addiction for them. And so I would encourage you to stay away from that. Um, and, and, but, but talk to your parents about that. Talk to your life group leaders about that more. Awesome, you guys. Okay, um, I think we have time for a few more. Uh, this student writes, what if me and my girlfriend have messed up sexually? Will God forgive me? And can I still be a Christian? And what do you think of dating a non-Christian? Wow. Combo question. Corey, you up for it? That's a big two-part question. What was the first part? Uh, The first part was we've messed up sexually in our relationship, and will God forgive me? Can I still be a Christian? Man, my heart just hurts that you even have to ask that question. Sorry. My heart is a little bit hurting that you even have to ask that question. Um, Gosh, God loves us so much that he sent his son because we are sinners. Mm. And by our nature, we are, <laughs> we're prone to be sin in, in sin relationships and sin actions, you know. And, um, man, if that's something where you've stumbled, there's, there's so much love for you and so much forgiveness for you. God's just waiting for you to say, hey, I repent of this. I, I want to surrender this this act, and I want to turn from it, because part of repentance is turning away from the sin that we've been um, battling, so I just want you to know that absolutely, yes, you are, you, God will forgive your sin, and you can turn and, and be made new just by surrendering and, and not walking in shame, that's one thing I, uh, I wanted to mention about, I know there was a question about um, porn and things like that, man, the enemy really wants us to stay in the dark, and not walk in the light. And once we release that, that, that once we admit to where we are in our lives and we say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm, I, I need help. Man, God just wants to come alongside you and he wants our community to come alongside you so you don't feel so alone. Um, he, he wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light because there's freedom there and you don't have to feel like you're captive. And that's what the enemy wants to feel like, that no one else is struggling with what you're struggling with, that no one else has ever done this. And that's so not true. Amen. So what was the next question? Um, Dating a non-Christian. Is that okay? You want me to take it? Or do you want to take it? I think I'll I'll throw something in there. Basically, uh, can you have friends that are non-Christians? You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Same thing. I think that uh, I don't think there's an actual sin in dating a non-Christian um, I think your sole purpose, just like my sole purpose is, is to be part of the Great Commission and get the Word of God out and, 
if you're not already witnessing to that person and trying to bring them to the faith and, you know, get them to surrender just like you did at some point in your life, then you're not doing what God's asked us to do. And maybe that's, you know, the best way to answer that is we have friends that are non-Christians. I do. Lots of them, you know. Um, I don't feel that I'm, I think that's what God wants us. He wants us to be around the broken and the people that need Jesus, you know what I mean? So I think having an inner relationship, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I think going to a serious level and taking it to that next step and, you know, if you're not engaged both in the church, you know, full-heartedly, I think there might be something that you might want to step back and pray to God and see if that's something he wants you to do. But, you know, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with being in a relationship with the nun. That's my personal opinion. Eric maybe wants to hit on that one. Maybe just adding on to that, I think, like, with dating, like, the long-term purpose is, like, marriage, and that's, like, what you want to be, like, working for as you are dating someone, Um, and, like, the Bible talks a lot about, like, not being unequally yoked, Um, and so what it's kind of talking about there is, like, you want to be with someone that is, like, helping you pursue Jesus, not, like, pulling you away from him, and so, yeah, while I don't think it's, like, a sin, um, I think that also, like, God's heart for us is that we will be with someone that is, like, helping us follow him um, more, like, closely, um, not, like, hindering or distracting us. And so I think, like, just be weary of, like, like, I'm just going to be honest, like, you're not going to, like, change a person by, like, dating them. And I know some people think, like, oh, like, if I date them, like, maybe they can become a Christian too. Like, it'll be fine. But I think, like, God's heart for you is that you will be, like, pursuing him. Um, And the way that someone explained it to me is, like, kind of, like, if you were in like a race, like you're running a race, you don't want to be like looking behind you, like someone that's like not, not in the race or not on your pace, like chasing after God. Like you want to be with someone that's like alongside you in that, um, pursuing Christ together. So you don't want to be like dragging someone into that. Like God's heart for you is like to be equally yoked with that person. Good analogy. A phrase we have in the young adult community is don't flirt to convert. (laughs) Don't flirt to convert. (laughs) Did y'all hear that? Y'all heard that? I'm going to call you on that. You guys, we have a lot of great questions, and it makes me sad because I don't think we can get to all of them. So I just want to say, please reach out to your life group leaders. Um, Reach out to any of us up here um, if your question doesn't get answered. I think I want to focus on two last topics um, before we wrap up tonight. So this one, um, it says, I struggle with an addiction to substance abuse. I was wondering how you replace the need to use with the need to read the Bible Mm. and when to really get help, too. Well, let me just start off by saying there is no better place for you to be than in this room on Tuesday nights when we have the landing. We have an amazing community. I'm sorry, we're not in here anymore. Thank you. We're in the JHM room. On Tuesday nights, on Tuesday nights, the landing meets. It's a Celebrate Recovery program for students. Um, If you're looking to make that transition, I spoke at um, CR last night, and I talked about how you can't do recovery alone, that it literally... Um, One of the things I was telling that community is recovery has to be your mission, not your side hustle. Mm. Like if you're really going to get help, if you're really going to recover, it's got to be your mission. It can't be your side hustle. And so if you're looking to experience recovery from that, we have Celebrate or we have The Landing. We have Kyle right back there who leads it. So... Satan, I'm absolutely convinced of this. Satan would love you to try to recover all by yourself. He'd love you to try to recover all by yourself because the chances of you being successful are so slim. 
But all of a sudden, if you're serious about it, if you surround yourself with other students who are in recovery, you're going to experience some support, some help, and some triumph. They're going to celebrate you. When you have setbacks, they're going to come alongside you and love you. So if you're serious about any kind of recovery, I would encourage you, obviously, share with your life group leader, talk with your parents, but definitely commit to coming every Tuesday night, 6.30 p.m. to the landing. Okay, awesome. Um, this one I think is just so important to touch on. Um, it, this question is, is homosexuality sinful? Wow, just the last question, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Court. Um, okay, let's answer it this way. Let me start here. If you're in this room and you find yourself attracted to the same sex... You are welcome in this place. You are welcome here. And not only that, we love you. We absolutely love you. Number two, I personally would love to hear your story. I think the church has oftentimes done a really horrible job of telling people who are attracted to the same sex all kinds of theology without being willing to listen first. And so what I would love to do is listen. And so um, if you would do me the honor of sharing your story with me, we could just meet one-on-one. I won't tell anybody. We're just going to talk. I would love to just listen. I would love the honor to just hear your story because I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what that's looked like for you, and I would love that opportunity. And so you can text that line if you are attracted to the same sex. You can text that line. Say, hey, I'd love to meet up with Eric. We'll keep it private. We'll meet, and it would be a really big honor for me. Okay? So, um, Number one, you're welcome here, you're loved. Number two, your story matters, and I want to hear that story. Number three, when, um, when Scripture talks about each one of us, it talks about how we are made in the image of God and how our primary identity is not who we're attracted to, it's not the job that we hold, It's not the salary we have. It's not the school we come from. It's not the city we grew up in. That our primary identity is that we are children of God. Okay? We live in a culture right now that so highly prioritizes who are you sleeping with. That, like, if you have same-sex attraction, you've got to make this huge proclamation. Or if you are heterosexual, you've got to make this huge proclamation. It's all about who are you having sex with. That's the culture that we live in. That's the message of our culture. And what you see, I know I don't even have to convince you, what you see in your friendships is that you see people jumping from sexual partner to sexual partner to sexual partner and it destroying them. Why? Because our primary identity is not our sexual orientation. It's that we are made in the image of God. Now what it means to fully be alive is to love God, is to worship God with your life. And so if you're in this room and and you find yourself attracted to the same sex, God would desire that you would worship him by not having relationships with the same sex, but that you would submit every part of your life to him. In the same way that if you're heterosexual in this room and you're not married, God would call you to lay that before him and to trust him with that, to not sleep with anyone, but to honor and worship him. There's a difference between um, orientation, lust, and then action. So if you find yourself right now attracted to the same sex, 
when you like wake up in the morning and you just know, you're not even thinking about it, but you just go, you know what, I'm just not attracted to the opposite sex, I'm attracted to the same sex. At that moment, I don't believe you're like living in sin. And I don't know why, maybe, maybe you could choose that, maybe you don't feel like you, could, you can choose that, we can talk more about all that when we meet. But the fact that you just kind of wake up and feel, man, I'm attracted to the same sex. God's not looking at you, wanting to smite you. He doesn't hate you. He, in, that, in that moment, you're not acting sinfully. What becomes sin is lust and then acting on it. And so scripture, the way I see it, is pretty clear. That sexual experiences are meant to be celebrated between a husband and a wife. And that's it. But, but again, Jesus never married never had sex. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, never married, never had sex. Sleeping with somebody is not the most important thing in life. That in fact, as I mean, Tim's story, let's just end right here, right? Tim's story, he, he shared, he could sleep with anybody. He had all this opportunity. And what did it bring him? Emptiness. It didn't satisfy that void within him. Now he's living a pure life, doesn't engage in that old lifestyle, and yet he feels alive. And so friends, if you find yourself attracted to the same sex, I understand that's a hard message. Let me say this differently. I don't understand. I don't understand that. But I want to understand your story, and I would love to hear from you. And so if you could just text me, let me know, I would love to sit down and share with you. Um, and, or just have you share with me and, and just encourage you. Um, I know that that's a delicate issue. That's a lot to take in. We will process more of that, but you are welcome here. You are loved here, and we will journey with you. Wherever you're at in that journey, we are in it with you. Sound good? Okay, let me share one last thing. Um, you know, what I, what I heard from Tim's story tonight was that he, he had the opportunity to live a life of taking and taking and taking whether that was taking drugs, whether that was taking advantage of women, whether that was taking money and using it however he wanted. He had what maybe some of us would dream of having, a life where he could take anything he wanted. And where did it lead him? It led him to emptiness and brokenness. But what changed Tim's life was a story not about a God who takes and takes and takes, but a God who chose to give. In John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world. Do you know what that means? That means that God loves you. If you've never been in a church before and this is your first time, you're like, what is going on? God loves you. You've been around for a while. You've heard these stories, but they've never settled in. Scripture says that God loves you. For God so loved the world. God didn't hate the world. God didn't despise the world. God wasn't done with the world. God loved the world so much that he gave. You see, friends, no matter where you're at, you're broken. I'm broken. We're sinners. We're in desperate need. All of us are taking something. And God responds to that, not by running away, but by running towards. And he ultimately 
gave up his life for you. If you were the only person that existed, Jesus still would have come, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and given his life as a sacrifice for you. Why? Because you're made in his image. Because he loves you. Because the idea of you living a life of taking and taking and taking, he couldn't handle it. Because he's familiar with all your ways. He knows that emptiness you feel at night. He knows that addiction that literally has enslaved you, that has its grip on you. And so he he responded by giving up his life for you. What I want to do is I want to invite everyone in this room right now to close their eyes. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you received God's forgiveness? Have you received his love? Are you living a life right now of taking and taking and taking and you're experiencing the emptiness? Then maybe tonight is your opportunity. Maybe tonight is the evening that God wants to give you the best gift you could ever receive. It's the gift that changed Tim's life. It's the gift that has changed my life. It's the gift that has changed many of the lives in this room. And it's the gift of forgiveness. You know all the things that uh, Tim talked about? He's completely forgiven for. That when God looks at Tim, he sees his son. He sees him completely forgiven, completely restored. And God wants to give you that exact same gift right now. And so with every eye closed, tonight maybe you showed up here and you weren't sure why you came here. But I want to tell you, God planned for you to be here. That God desired for you to be in this room. Because he wants you to know, front and center, that he wants to give you the gift of eternal life. He wants to give you the gift of forgiveness. He wants to give you salvation. And he wants to change your life. And the life change that you're desperately searching for, that you're taking and taking and taking, hoping to find, you won't on your own. But thanks be to God, who is rich in mercy and has chosen to make you and I alive, even when we were dead in our transgressions. The gospel, the story of Jesus, is not about you earning him. It's about you receiving him. And so with every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you've never received his forgiveness, you've never received his gift of salvation and freedom from your sin, I want to give you that opportunity tonight. And right now, I want to invite you to raise your hand in the air as a way of saying, Jesus, I want to receive you tonight. That Jesus, I want to know your love and your forgiveness. And so if you're in this room tonight, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus and receive his forgiveness, would you just raise your hand right now? God, I see those hands. I see these friends who are choosing that Jesus, they want to receive you. Maybe they're receiving you for the first time or the hundredth time, but they're choosing That Jesus, you are going to be the Lord of their lives. I pray they would know your forgiveness right now. That they would feel your love over them. And that your gospel would change their lives. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, hey, before we leave, something special happened in this room. There were some of you who decided to surrender your life to Jesus or come back to him. And scripture says that there is a party in heaven. There's a celebration in heaven happening right now because of what happened. And we want to join that party. And so on the count of three, if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And we're going to cheer because of what Jesus has done.